Welcome to the Alaskan Journey Podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help people build an intentional and significant legacy for themselves and their family by coaching them in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to tell the authentic story of Alaskans who are actually living on the last frontier and kind of showing all the different flavors of Alaska and all the different perspectives and um, what it's actually like living living up here on the last frontier. And today we have a very special guest, um, Ron Murray. He's with the Aurora Chasers, which if you don't know, it's an awesome YouTube channel and also a fantastic business where they take you out to actually go see the Northern Lights. And it's a husband and wife team with um, Ron and his wife, Marquetta. And they're Northern Lights specialists, as you can imagine. They specialize in photographing and filming the Northern Lights and the, the night sky in Alaska. They've been capturing the magic and beauty of the Northern Lights since 2007 and have led photography tours, helping others uh, make keepsakes of their bucket list experiences since 2011. So without further ado, let me go and introduce you to uh, Ron Murray. Hey, Jamin. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us. So um, I ask everybody this when we're we're getting started, but what's what's kind of your Alaska story? Everyone's got a, a different one for what kind of drew them up here, but you know what uh, drew you and Marquetta up here? Well, we both uh, we both came separately. Um, I started off uh, back in I think it was the summer of 2007. I was uh, doing uh, pest control sales door to door. And I was doing that in California. That was my way to pay for college. So uh, the the housing market crash hit uh, California about a year before it hit the rest of the country. And so I was trying to sell pest control to people whose houses were underwater on their mortgage. Um, I wasn't having a lot of success. So I found myself with extra time and I picked up a little camera and just fell in love with photography and decided that that was what I was going to do with my life which led me to Alaska. <laughs> um, as I got into it, you know, nature photography was my thing. I'd always enjoyed, you know, hunting and fishing as a, as a young man. And then uh, that just turned into uh, hunting with a camera, essentially. So I was chasing around wildlife and Alaska seemed like a great place to do that. Yeah, I, I would definitely say so. I mean, you know, even just from my office here in the middle of town, you just look out the window and you're just surrounded by mountains and you, um, you kind of have to be careful not to just take it for granted. So those uh, trips to the lower 48 really uh, keep you grounded up here. For <laughs> you sure. Don't take stuff for granted. <laughs> but okay. So, you know, you're kind of going around, you're getting, you know, really engaged with, um, you know, with the camera and learning photography. Alaska is kind of a natural pull for that. Um, when did you initially move up here to, to Alaska and what was that transition like? Yeah, so I came in the the end of 2007, uh, and I originally started off in Anchorage, uh, and very quickly um, was was fortunate enough to find two different gigs as a photographer. I started uh, out with Life Touch School photography, uh, and I started off with another real estate photographer. Uh, and so we were doing 360 tours. I think before that was a real big thing. Um, <laughs> so I cut my teeth on both of those. Uh, and I enjoyed Anchorage, but I'll be honest, uh, 
Anchorage is a city. And if I wanted to live in a city, I could live anywhere. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as we say in Fairbanks, uh, Anchorage is a great place that's close to Alaska. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> um, but I wanted something a little more Alaska feel, right? Um, so the the company that I worked for, LifeTouch, um, about a year into my, my position with them, they needed a manager up in Fairbanks. And uh, not a lot of people were excited to go. So I, I tend to be kind of <laughs> unique in wanting to leave Anchorage and go to Fairbanks. But I was like, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be closer to the Northern Lights. Uh, and so they they picked me and I ended up uh, managing for them for a while. And uh, then I kind of launched my own studio from there and did a lot of portraits and weddings and commercial work, but always doing the Aurora uh, in the winters when things were slower. So, Oh, outstanding. Outstanding. Okay. Well, that ans <clears throat> actually answers my next question because I was going to ask if <clears throat> the idea of starting the business or moving to Fairbanks kind of came first, but it, it kind of sounds like it was a combination really of the two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the Fairbanks thing came as a result of having the fortune of a job that, that needed somebody to go to Fairbanks. And I was happy to take that opportunity. Um, the business itself came later. And honestly, the Aurora did play a decision in that because when you're doing school portrait photography, you're up at five in the morning and setting up in a school at 630, uh, which did not it was not conducive to the Aurora season and the school year is during the Aurora season. So right. um, those two things were conflicting often uh, along with my own personal interests and wanting to have my own control over creativity and things like that. Uh, I decided to to launch the uh, portrait and wedding business and, and did that for a long time. And that was better because that was mostly summer gig and then I could shoot Aurora in the winter. Man, that's, yeah, that's, that's actually getting the best of both worlds that way. Yeah. So for listeners who might be listening from out of state and they might not understand kind of the, the conditions, you know, surrounding Fairbanks, can you go ahead and just just uh, give us a brief description of what the conditions are like up in Fairbanks, winter and summer? <laughs> yeah, so uh, right about now, uh, we are uh, in the middle of Alaska summer, which means there's no darkness. Uh, I think we're we're in the middle of, uh, or at the start rather, of 72 days of straight daylight, right? So the sun dips below the horizon, but it doesn't set even to the point of civil uh, twilight. Um, so we never get a true civil sunset, or uh, I should say astronomical sunset. Um, it's just bright. Uh, so there is no opportunities for Aurora right now, but it's beautiful. It's sunny. It's warm. You can, you know, go kayaking at one o'clock in the morning if you like. Uh, contrast that with the dead of winter where, you know, it can be 40 below for weeks on end. And we're talking night and day. It doesn't warm up in the daytime. Mm. Uh, and so it's, it's quite the extreme, <laughs> um, both, <laughs> both seasons. Uh, and in Alaska, in case folks are listening from out of state, uh, we like to say we have three seasons. Um, we have construction, which is summer season. We have winter and we have breakup and breakups, the couple of wing weeks that everybody else considers spring where everything's just muddy and the rivers are breaking up. So there is no spring, fall, winter, summer. It's just, uh, <laughs> winter or summer. <laughs> right, <much>. right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's about what I've been told. It's like living up there. Yeah. Um, is it true? I, I was talking to somebody and he said like up there when you're just doing simple you know, grocery runs to the, to the store or something like that, you're actually going to bundle up all the way just in case like you get into some kind of a car wreck along the way and just making sure you don't, you know, freeze out there if it's the winter time. 
is that accurate or is that a little uh a little exaggeration you know i guess that depends on the person i uh I tend to wear a lighter layer, but keep a parka with me. So the same gear that I would take to stand out for hours under the Northern Lights, I'm going to take that with me uh, to uh, in the vehicle at least, so that if something happens, you're you're covered. And at 40 below, I mean things do happen, right? So right, right. I mean, if your car breaks down, I mean things can go south quick. I imagine. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, good deal. So just with the conditions kind of being what, what they are there, um, what is it do you think really that appeals to you about them, about Fairbanks then? Because most people would see that they're like, good, good thing to experience, but you actually are, are living there. So what's the secret? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, I think for me, the appeal is that because it is such a extreme environment, not a lot of people do want to be there. Uh, it takes a special kind of person to want to be there. And so you have, a, I, I guess, a freedom that, that I've never experienced anywhere else where I can drive 20, 20 minutes out of town, park my vehicle on the side of the highway and just wander off into the woods and just go for an adventure. And no, there's no fences. Nobody's going to bother me. I can be alone with nature. Uh, you know, it, it just, that wilderness appeal, I think is what it is. Right. Right. Oh, I, I certainly do understand that then. <clears throat> so what were some of your, um, I guess, what were um, some of your initial challenges when you, when you first moved to Fairbanks? Um, or I mean, was everything <laughs> just smooth, glassy, glassy, smooth sailing? <laughs> No, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> when I first started out there, you know, um, like most people, I didn't quite do the dry cabin experience. So I was fortunate enough to find a cabin with running water, but that running water was a 500 gallon storage tank that was outside <laughs> and very well insulated. But that still led to me having to have it filled up once a week, uh, having to uh, deal with frozen pipes, having to deal with putting heat tape, higher electric bills, um, you know, putting uh, heat shrink on your windows so that you have some extra insulation in the windows to keep yourself warm. Um, dealing what's with the, uh, <clears throat> so what's uh, what's the heat shrink? So basically, it's it's a shrink wrap that you you put over your windows and then you take a little heat gun or a, a blow dryer and, and kind of heat it up and it shrinks down. So it makes basically an extra window pane to add an extra air layer uh, for insulation purposes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That uh, that sounds like that's quite an adjustment to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, just dealing with, uh, as you mentioned, you know, every time you, you step outside, you know, you step outside to play with a dog, for example, you, you have to bundle up just for a five minute adventure out. Um, you, you have to be very careful about keeping, you know, gloves and liners on your hands, because if you touch anything with bare hands, it's instant mm. frostbite. And, uh, that includes your camera, which is a metal body, right? So, man, I haven't yeah. even thought about that. Yeah. That's, that's a really yeah. good point. So, I mean, I guess we can talk about gear later, but I mean, do you mm -hmm. have like a, like a special glove where, 
you can kind of use it for that or well i guess you don't need like your your thumbprint like on an iphone or something like that yeah so. yeah and there you know now with the modern technology touch screens are becoming more prevalent and so that is sometimes a consideration when you're looking at glove liners i'll be honest i have yet to find a pair of glove liners that at 40 below the touch sensitivity parts work really well um so i still find myself using the dials more than the touch screen functions um, but yeah, typically what I do is just a set of liners and then a pair of, um, downfilled mittens over top of that. So you can keep your hands in the mittens unless you're actually making an adjustment or hitting the shutter and then pull them out to do that with the thin liners. So that at least you have a protective barrier. Gotcha. <clears throat> All right. So I guess I just got, uh, got one more question about Fairbanks and we'll move on then. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so... Guess what are uh, what are some of your pros and cons of of living in Fairbanks? Obviously, every part of the country has it. Um, I'm yeah, I'm going to call out. Uh, we'll just call Florida out. You know, beautiful beaches and all that. But <laughs> you know, you guys still got hurricanes, so it's not all not all fun in the sun. Right, right. <laughs> so we'll yeah, I mean, some- I'll. I'll- I'll be honest, the uh, the winters, I enjoyed them immensely for the first probably 10 years. And then Marquetta took me on a trip to Hawaii in the middle of January one year. And it was my first real experience out of Alaska since I'd moved there in the middle of winter. And I was like, wait a minute, winter can be like this? What am I doing wrong with my life? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I don't, I don't enjoy the cold as much as I used to. Um, And I think that part of that's just, you know, as you get older, your body doesn't handle it as well. Um, When you're in your 20s and 30s, it wasn't that big of a deal. But as I'm moving into the 40s, it's it's uh, it's getting tougher to deal with. Um, There's you know, there is the lack of convenience that you have even in Anchorage with shopping centers and, you know, being able to get things. Um, So those are some of the downsides. Um, But I don't know. I feel like the perks outweigh it. The access to the wilderness, the the sense of community because it is small you know everybody kind of knows each other and if you like that kind of thing it's a great place to be because it's it's really easy to become part of the community there yeah and that's that's something also i've talked with um you know folks living in kodiak and other smaller smaller towns as well and that's really kind of the the feedback you've getting gotten from them also they just the the sense of community is something you're just not going to find if you're in a, a huge metropolitan area where, yeah, somewhere like, you know, Dallas, New York, mm. uh, places like that, you're really just not not going to know what that's like. Or um, some people, they might not even know that having a sense of community is an option. <laughs> right, right. All right. Outstanding. So let's uh, let's go and move on a little bit here then. What makes Fairbanks such a good place to to go for the Northern Lights? Because obviously you can get Northern Lights and other parts of Alaska, but what makes, you know, Fairbanks kind of um, such a hot, hotbed place to be looking for the, for the lights? Yeah, that's a great question. So the primary thing that makes Fairbanks such a great place, and this is true of all Northern latitudes at the same latitude as Fairbanks, but we essentially tend to be right at that sweet spot where the magnetic field lines that carry the aurora or the energy that creates the aurora reconnect back into Earth's atmosphere. And so essentially from, say, oh, you're talking uh, Coldfoot to Fairbanks area, uh, maybe a little bit further south, you're, you're right under that oval where you can see the aurora 
if it's clear and dark over 200 nights a year. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, it's just simplicity, honestly. You're, you're in the best possible position where the aurora is actually happening. Uh, to see them down where you guys are in Anchorage, for example, it takes a stronger uh, aurora activity level. You guys have got to have at least KP3 or higher uh, to be able to see them on the horizon. And then KP5, which is what we start to consider storm level auroras, uh, to see them overhead the way we do quite often. So um, position, global position. Um, but that's true of like Yellowknife, you know, um, Iceland, Sweden, Finland, Norway, places like that as well. Right, right. Um, I will note, sorry, I will note that Fairbanks is also statistically one of the clearer sky locations within that that area. Um, because we're, you know, a lot of the other places over in Europe are coastal. And so they tend to have more temperamental weather. Um, mm. We're... Traditionally, we tend to have more clear skies. It hasn't been that way for the last couple of years, but normally that's, it's, you know, pretty much you, you come for a week, you're almost guaranteed, not, not guaranteed, but almost guaranteed you're going to see Northern Lights. Gotcha. I mean, is there also a, a smaller population? So you have less city lights in Fairbanks also? Yes, that is that is true. Um, however, that's an issue that uh, several of us are advocating <laughs> right now because <laughs> Fairbanks in the last, I, I think they changed out their lighting uh, in the last five years to an LED light system, but they weren't conscious of the light pollution that it was putting off. And so we find ourselves in locations that we used to go all the time uh, with plenty dark skies, having lots of light pollution issues. I mean, I, we can get 80 miles away and still have some light pollution issues sometimes, uh, oh, depending wow. on how the cloud is. So um, it used to be great for that. And it definitely would still be better than, say, Anchorage, right? A much more populous area. But it's it's not as fantastic or uh, as little of an issue as you might suspect. Man, that's insane. I would not have thought street lights would would be able to to impact anything within like a couple miles, let alone like 80 miles away, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, sadly, it made a huge difference. Man. Okay. Well, that's, that's definitely good to know. But I mean, yeah, like you said, at least on the bright side, you guys are um, definitely getting them more often. I think I saw, I think I saw the lights two, maybe three times the entire last winter. So they're uh, they're not particularly common down here in Anchorage and the Eagle River area. You get them. It's um, you're probably just not going to be getting the the postcard show that they get up in Fairbanks, though. <laughs> right, right. And I should clarify that when I'm when I'm talking about the light pollution issues and stuff like that, I'm speaking through the lens of a photographer, right? right. If an average person is coming up there simply to view the Northern Lights, you get ten minutes out of town and you're going to be fine. Um, but as a photographer, we're trying to capture a low light image. And so every little bit of light pollution is dramatically impactful on your final image. Right, right. It's, it's that professional level of, of attention to the, to the small detail. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be that, uh, that difference where normal person might not know what it is they know that there's a difference they just don't know what it is they <laughs> compare the two images side by side right yeah got it all right so i guess kind of uh describe to me what was it like when you guys were were getting the business started then uh, was it kind of a hard pitch to people initially like what uh walk me through that journey a little bit 
Yeah, so that was uh, that was quite the journey. Um, and let me backtrack just a bit because I realized I skipped over how Marquetta ended up <laughs> in Alaska. So she was uh, she was in Iceland for ten years. Uh, the latter six of which she ran the TGI Fridays over there uh, in Reykjavik. Uh, and then she came over to Alaska to visit and photograph our Northern Lights. Uh, and we met and I managed to convince her to, to stick around. So, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, we, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, anyway, her and I joined forces and uh, she joined me for the wedding and portrait business for a while. And then I think it was... Uh, 2013 we were we were doing fairly well with that business um but i had started working over the winter for another tour operator and then i'd started getting phone calls and emails from people asking me if i would take them out to photograph the northern lights and they're like hey we'll pay you to give us the experience of just going with you and doing what you guys do and so I was like, huh, maybe we, maybe there's something to this. <laughs> and so I convinced her <laughs> reluctantly at first to uh, basically hand all of our existing clientele off to some other friends who were in the industry and buy a tour van and start a tour company and take our shot. Um, and it was a gamble, but luckily it paid off. Um, we we struggled a little bit at first, but it, it honestly went a lot quicker than I expected it to. Um, at the time, there wasn't that niche for photographers who wanted to go out and learn to take Northern Lights photos. There was lots of tours to take you out and see them, but nobody was really catering to like a diehard photographer that that needed a little help. Maybe they shoot, you know, uh, wildlife or portraits or something like that, but they don't know night photography. So um, that's kind of where we ended up specializing. And uh the TripAdvisor reviews, and then we we got a little bit of media coverage. CBS Sunday Morning did a bit on us, and then it just took off from there. So, man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So it sounds like it uh, it almost just kind of something real, kind of a natural, organic outgrowth of what you guys were already doing. Absolutely. Yep. Man, that's great. All right. So you know, it's obviously a little. Can be a little bit of a challenge first getting started, though. Um, can you remember like any of your first tours or when you yeah. uh, initially <laughs> oh, took yeah. people out? Okay, <laughs> I, I can remember the, the the very first first tour went great because we only had two clients, right? For for a van that could hold eight people, so <laughs> that was a you know I mean it was but it was great because we got to really just customize to what they specifically needed and so I remember that experience and I remember you know now that we're more busy and it's harder to have that personal attention to detail um, I, I look back on that fondly. In fact, you know this year with COVID and our last season, things were a bit slower again, and we we had that luxury of being able to to have more time with our clients and be more personal. And I, I really enjoyed kind of stepping back to that. Um, and, and honestly, I'm kind of looking at ways to do that more going forward. But um, yeah, it was a struggle. I mean, our, our first fall season, um, I think our first couple of falls, we really kind of took people out to kind of basically refresh ourselves and keep ourselves in the game and keep ourselves sharp. And then spring would be kind of the busy season. Um, so it was, it was slow and we still were doing other gigs to kind of keep things rolling along. And we had to borrow money from a friend to get the down payment for the van. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it was like all businesses, right? You're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and it's a struggle. Um, 
And it took a while before it was, you know, lucrative, but uh, it, it finally did get there. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that sounds like sounds like the the journey for many entrepreneurs. <laughs> yep. It's like I tell people the the highs are a lot higher and the lows are a lot lower than than you're going to find with other occupations. But long term, it's definitely worth it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you got to be able to weather the storm as a, <laughs> as a business owner rather than an employee, don't you? Exactly. It's a little harder to check out sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. So what, <clears throat> I guess for you, what's the, um, uh, what is the thing that you really like about kind of the the business and what it is you guys are able to to contribute you know what's you know i know for a teacher for them just that moment where you see you know the child really uh the student really understand what you're talking about um that to them is the big rewarding moment um for you what's what's kind of the the thing that makes you you know really uh really passionate about what you're doing yeah so it's it's kind of an it's kind of evolved over time. Um, when we first started doing this, I, I enjoyed sharing the experience with people. I enjoyed seeing that, like you said, that click when they finally get it, or for me, that wow when that first picture hits their sensor and they see it in the back of the screen. Um, but I also enjoyed just the ability to be out there myself and and be making a living doing what I enjoyed. Um, that was extremely rewarding. Uh, over time, I. I I hesitate to say this, but it's true of anything. If you do something long enough, eventually, I wouldn't say the Aurora has lost its magic, but I'm spoiled in that if it's not one of those extremely spectacular shows, it's a little less wowful to me, right? <laughs> so what I've found myself enjoying the last few years, honestly, is, is sharing that experience and helping people make their dreams come true. And I've focused more on, rather than what I'm getting on my camera, what the clients are getting out of the experience. And so I enjoy just, I guess, making that magic and those memories for them. And that, like, because this is a bucket list thing for people, right? This is most people, this is a once in a lifetime experience. They're, they're only going to do it once. And so it's for me, it's just, yeah, seeing them dancing and screaming when the Aurora goes off and then when they see their portrait and then when we make the little video of them, you know, it's just all those things combined and making sure that they have a hot cocoa while they're out there cold under the Aurora and that kind of stuff. Yeah, man, that's uh, that sounds great. I mean, that really does sound like kind of the transition that like most athletes will go through when they're becoming, becoming a coach. I mean, initially it's all about, you know, competing and, you know, taking a, uh, was it kicking butt and taking names and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually they get into coaching. It's more about, about letting other people, people do that and kind of letting others kind of, um, experience the same thing that they've seen. So, yep. Yep. Outstanding. So you were kind of talking about some real spectacular shows. Um, what have been some of your most memorable encounters out there? Uh, the one that there, there's a few, but the one that really sticks out in my mind would be March 17th, 2013. 
That um, is super specific. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for good reason. It was, it, we call it the St. Patty's Day Aurora. And everybody, if you talk about it to Aurora photographers around, you know, the globe and you say the St. Patty's Day Aurora, they, they know what you're talking about, even if they're not from <laughs> the U.S. where we have that <laughs> holiday. So, um Basically, what we had was an X-class flare, which is the the largest of the flares, right, in classification. And it was headed right at Earth, and it basically arrived exactly as predicted, and we were all ready for it. The weather was great around most of the globe, and it was one of the most amazing aurora displays I've ever seen. Some of the most brilliant reds and purples, and, you know, typically you're going to see green aurora, Um but purples are more rare and reds are a lot more rare than that. And then so much Aurora that the colors started to blend together like watercolors. And so you were seeing kind of some oranges and yellows and uh, just, just amazing photos. And it just went on and on and on for hours and hours and hours like that. Um, Just dancing over our heads and it was incredible. So um, that night in particular sticks out in my mind. Um, I would be in trouble if I didn't say October 25th, 2012, <laughs> which is when we got married under the Aurora, though it was a subtle Aurora. That's when we, uh, <laughs> we uh, decided to get married beneath the Auroras. So that was kind of neat. Um, and then probably for me, uh, I think it was September uh, 11th. Well, the night of September 10th into the morning of September 11th, uh, 2015. Um, where I was finally set up for the first time with gear that could film the Aurora in real time and had one of those displays, again, that just went on for hours and hours and was perfect for filming. Fast-moving, vibrant, incredible Auroras. I watched people drop to their knees and cry that night, and it was like it didn't matter where you pointed a camera, you were getting great shots. So um, those really stand out in my mind. And that's... Those sound pretty spectacular. <laughs> it was awesome. All right. Outstanding. Yeah. And I really, the one drawback of interviewing somebody about the, the Northern Lights on a podcast is we can't visually show what it is that we're talking about. So we'll, we'll have to have to see if we can get some images to, to maybe put up on the channel and on the, on the podcast here, maybe. Um, okay. So I guess what are, some of the challenges really that, that you face that some people might not, you know, think of initially. Yeah. So, uh, the biggest thing is just, uh, in fact, what I tell clients is make sure that you have the proper gear to keep yourself warm, because if you're not staying warm, it doesn't matter what camera gear you bring, you're not going to be outside using it. Um, and I've seen that happen where, where somebody brings the best photography gear money can buy, and then they didn't bring winter clothing and they're sitting in the van staying warm, right? Um, so that's one of the challenges. Um, battery life is always an issue in the cold. Things break. Things don't work. Tripods become brittle. You know, you're hiking around in deep snow in the dark. Um, there's, it, it's, for most people you can take a very competent photographer and put them in a dark, cold environment in the middle of the night and suddenly like everything's different and new and they don't know what they're doing. Right. Um, And so you have to kind of get over that. And so that's kind of where we come in and kind of basically hold people's hands through that process until they get comfortable uh, dealing with that environment. Um, 
But yeah, the and for us as a tour operator, the biggest challenge for me at this point in my life is the hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, when I was younger, the cold and the the late nights were not a problem. And I find that as I get older every year, my body fights that schedule a little bit more and more. And it takes me longer to recover at the end of the season uh, than it used to. Because, I mean, pretty much you've got a bartender's schedule at this point. <laughs> yep, yep. In fact, we're usually coming home as uh, the bars have just closed. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that does sound like it'd be a little challenging. Yep. But, I mean, I guess the good news is, at least during the, the winter time, I mean, probably going to be able to sleep it off because, I mean, it's pretty much dark all the time anyway, so... <laughs> yeah blackout curtains become your friend for sure <laughs> yeah during during the summertime holy cows i agree with that <laughs> even but, even by march you know by march we're uh you can imagine we're out until four in the morning at at a minimum and sometimes six or seven in the morning depending on how far we've had to drive to get folks clear view uh and so in march you know it's it's starting to get dark around 11 p.m and it's starting to get daylight or twilight again by you know six in the morning so we're going to bed right as the sun's kind of coming up so uh, we even in march we're relying on those blackout curtains <laughs> yeah so uh take it you're probably not going to be getting a tan with that job though <laughs> yeah no <laughs> definitely not oh that's awesome all right well i guess for people who you know want to learn more about what it is that you guys do and how how you can help them kind of take their photography to the next level, or maybe they're just you know, trying to trying to figure out how to experience kind of their first Northern Lights, where is going to be a good place for them to, to connect with y'all? Yeah, so the best place, everything goes through the auroraChasers.com. So www.theauroraChasers.com. Um, from there, you can find links to uh Everything that you're going to need, our FAQs are extremely helpful for folks trying to plan a trip. I cover a lot of detail in there um, and I've broke it down so that you can expand each question and kind of skim through it so you don't have to read everything all in one sitting. Uh, another great resource is our YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash the Aurora Chasers. Um, that's a good place for folks who are listening and can't see what we're talking about to visually uh, see what we're talking about. I've done quite a bit of uh, filming of the Aurora over the years, and a lot of it's over there, uh, as well as videos about when the best time to come, uh, you know, what you need to know, all of that kind of stuff. I'm starting to do more kind of FAQ style videos over on the YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, that channel is is spectacular. I mean, I'm in Alaska and I've seen the Northern Lights. I've, you know, I've seen them where they've kind of been in that storm before where, I mean, even we can see it pretty well down here. And I mean, I saw some of those videos and I was like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's pretty spectacular. So if you haven't seen that yet, you need to go check it out now. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, that's one of the perks and one of the reasons I do this job is that because we're out there every night, we we get spoiled and we get to see, we get to be there, I guess, when those moments happen, right? Um, it, it's not so much that uh, it's always like that. It's just that when it is like that, we're there and ready. And so I guess if, if people are coming for the first time, and I do cover this in the FAQs and my YouTube videos, but set your expectations to understand that the highlight reels that you were seeing, just like anything else, when you see the highlight reel, you're seeing the very best of the very best. And you're not seeing 
the subtle stuff because nobody is wowed by that and shares that in their highlight reels, right? So um, <laughs> understand that even a, even a good band of Aurora is nice for photos, but if you get fortunate enough to see one of those amazing shows like you see in some of our videos, um, you should be feeling really, really lucky because it's not every night like that. No, for sure. I mean, that's, I'm sure that's, uh, managing expectations is a big part of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, Ron, um, I really do appreciate it, sir. This has been great. Um, we'll go ahead and make sure we include a link to y'all's website and YouTube channel and our, our show notes down below. And, um, you know, uh, other than that, um, it's, you know, like I said, been a pleasure. And if anyone would like to check out our channel, it's the Alaskan um, Journey Podcast. You're already here, but we also do run the Alaska Realtor channel. So if you're um, considering making a trip up here or considering making a move up here, go check that out. And it's designed to answer the questions that people have as they are um, transitioning up here. So um, either that or go check us out on Instagram. It's probably not going to be as uh, as spectacular as the Aurora Chasers, but go <laughs> check that out at um, uh, Realtor Alaska. And without further ado, we're uh, signing off. Oh.